This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Methane emissions account for roughly 25% of current global warming and contribute to climate-related threats, including more intense and frequent heat waves and flooding, food insecurity and poor air quality. Now, according to Malaysia's third biennial report to the United Nations, methane emissions contributed 17% of greenhouse gas emissions in 2016, with its major source being fugitive emissions from the oil and gas industry. Where does Malaysia's biggest opportunities for tackling methane emissions lie in and why is it crucial to reduce these emissions? So I'm going to discuss this and more with Dr. Shireen Yawanaraja. She's the Director for Global Energy Transition at the Environmental Defence Fund. Dr. Stefan Schweitzker, an international senior scientist with the Environmental Defence Fund. And Dr. Helena Vaki. She's an associate professor at the University of Malaya. She's also the Vice President on CHIRA, the Clean Air Society Malaysia, and the project lead for the COP26 Global Climate Pledges, promoting transparency, public engagement and progress on methane emissions in Malaysia. Welcome everyone. How are you today? Well, thank you. We're good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. So we've got uh, two guests today from the Environmental Defence Fund and of course, Helena, no stranger to this show. Uh, can we get to know you guys a little bit better? Uh, maybe maybe Dr. Shireen, you can tell me more about the Environmental Defence Fund, You know the work that you do through the organisation, all of that. Thank you, Juliet. Yes. Um, so I work for the Environmental Defense Fund. We are a global NGO and our focus is on climate change. Um, we have about a thousand over staff spread over globally, um, consisting of policy experts, scientists such as my colleague here, Stefan, and economists. We've got offices globally as well in the UK, in the EU, in India, um, in China and in Indonesia. And we've been working in Southeast Asia, uh, particularly in Malaysia for the past one year. Okay, excellent. And uh, talk to me a little bit more about what you guys are actually working on here in Malaysia and who you're working with as well. So, um, as I mentioned, we've been working in Malaysia for over a year now, and we've built a strong relationship with Petronas, um, which, as you know, is the national oil company of Malaysia. And uh, because we we feel that uh, Petronas has a major influencing role within the region, and it also drives the climate discussion within Malaysia. In addition to that, we've built a pretty strong methane coalition, the very first coalition in Malaysia, consisting of NGOs such as Chera, um, Mabic, Science Media Centre, um, Greenpeace Southeast Asia, and hopefully also um, WWF uh, will join this tent as well. Um, we've started outreach uh, to significant climate players in, within the international community, namely the U.S. Embassy, Canadian High Commission, British High Commission, as well as key players in the private sector, particularly the um, solution providers. Okay, excellent. And uh, Dr. Stefan, maybe you can uh, talk to me a, lot, a little bit about the science part, right? So you have been leading scientific efforts and that's focused the world's attention on the importance of reducing methane. Um, can you talk to me about these efforts? Yes, absolutely. And it makes sense to um, describe a little bit the history of how this all started. Sure. Um, so in the late 2000s, uh, the shale 
shale gas boom happened in the US. And there were industry and also government players who were thinking out loud uh, whether using more gas and less coal for electricity generation could be a bridge fuel on the way to decarbonizing. And the rationale of that is because CO2 emissions from gas combustion are about half of that uh, compared to coal. And that ignores, however, the climate impact of methane leaking from gas production and use. Mm -hmm. And so EDF did some initial analysis based on publications at the time. And it was clear pretty quickly that there were hardly any real measurement data uh, of methane emissions. And so EDF commissioned the first study in the U.S. state of Colorado. Um, and it was clear from, from that study, even before it was out during the measurements, that there are some operations uh, at oil and gas facilities um, that went as you would expect them from based on the books. And so this triggered a series of studies across the value chain in the U.S. So that means uh, oil and gas production, processing, transport, distribution, and then also the use of, of gas, so the end use. And so after about 30 studies there, um, it was clear that methane emissions are about 60% higher than previously thought. Okay. And, that's just, and that's just in the U.S., and that triggered a lot of policy action uh, to reduce emissions, but also triggered studies in the rest of the world. And so EDF started partnering up uh, with the United Nations Environment Program. And so since 2017, it carried out uh, studies around the world. And now we're also starting to explore studies in Southeast Asia. Okay, and that's that's why you guys are here at the moment, isn't it, as well, right? Yeah. And Dr. Helena, um, you know, Chera, of course, no stranger to the show, but you guys are part of this project. I understand that Chera is primarily focusing on clean air. Can you talk to me about the link between clean air and methane? Sure. Uh, thanks, Juliet. So methane itself is not actually an air pollutant, uh, but the sources of methane emissions are nearly always sources also of other air pollutants, especially health-damaging air pollutants, so like PM 2.5. So they tend to be produced uh, together through things like burning. Mm -hmm. So they are related in that way. And um, another air pollutant that we're kind of, we are quite concerned about is ozone. And uh, methane is the primary contributor to the formation of this ground level ozone, which is a form of air pollutant, it's an irritant. Um, so in these ways, uh, you know, we are interested and we are invested in this, uh, in this goal that EDF has as well. So under this EDF project, so Chirah is collaborating with UM, where I'm based as well, uh, to, to look into things like enhancing state, stakeholder engagement, enhancing public awareness to promote greater policy ambition to reduce emissions in Malaysia. Okay, excellent. And um, uh, Dr. Shireen, if you can uh, take this one, I was reading that more than 100 countries, including Malaysia, have actually joined what's called the Global Methane Pledge. Uh, can you tell me what this is about? Yes. Um, the pledge actually aims to catalyze global action and strengthen support for existing international methane emission reduction initiatives. Um, and uh, the objective for that is to advance technical and policy work that will serve to underpin the signees, and we've got over 120 countries that have signed on now, to underpin their domestic methane reduction actions. And the pledge also recognises the essential roles that the private sector, development banks, 
financial institutions and philanthropy play to support implementation of this global commitment. Um, participants who join the pledge, such as Malaysia, Indonesia, um, Vietnam in this region, uh, as well as um, Korea and Japan, they agree to take voluntary actions to contribute to a collective effort to reduce global methane emissions by at least 30% by 2030. And meeting the Global Methane Pledge, um, its target, that has the potential to make an enormous impact on climate change. Similar actually to the entire global transport sector adopting net zero emission technologies. Mm. And action, particularly accelerated action on methane reduction will be particularly important in the period up to 2030 because sharp cuts in methane can deliver a net cooling effect within a relatively short period. So this pledge has really, um, which, was, which was initiated by the US and the EU, has sort of brought together kindred spirits, brought together international support and momentum to accelerate action up to 2030 and beyond. Okay, so quite, quite a critical pledge then, I would say, right, in reducing methane emissions. Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. And and uh, Dr. Stefan, if I can ask you now uh, some one-on-one questions, right? Maybe we can start off with the most basic question of all. What is methane and where does it come from? Yeah, absolutely. So methane is an invisible and odorless gas, uh, which also makes it so hard to track down. Um, it's, it has one carbon atom, uh, four hydrogen atom atoms, and it is the main component of natural gas. Um, has many sources um, that lead to it uh, being so prevalent in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. and it has comes from natural sources and human activities. And so, roughly forty percent, we think currently, are from natural sources. Um, that's largely wetlands but also um, geologic seeps. So this is like a type of volcanoes to make it very simple, um, but also wildfires. Mm-hmm. And then human activities, um, they're roughly similar contributions, um, each from fossil fuels, from agriculture, and from waste. And then there's also uh, some methane emissions from biomass burning around the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how much of that, again, comes from human activities, would you say? It's about 60%. 60%. Okay. All right. And uh, wetlands, you know, for anyone who's not quite familiar with what actually wetlands are, could you just briefly explain that? Yeah, so uh, wetlands, um, they come in different shapes and forms. Uh, you have them in the tropics, but you can also have them um, uh, just in the subarctics, uh, basically. And so it's any... Uh, grasslands, for example, um, that are inundated, so have, have a very deep uh, water table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, re- it requires that there is no um, oxygen involved in the decomposition yep. of the organic material. And that creates uh, methane emissions, which are produced by bacteria. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. And I guess, you know, the question, of course, folks who are listening might be asking, what's the big deal? You know, what do we need to know about methane? Maybe you can help uh, break it into, you know, how it impacts uh, the climate, but also importantly, how it impacts human health. Yes. Um, So in terms of climate impacts, uh, methane contributes 
to at least the quarter of the climate change that we've experienced to date. So all the way from the industrial revolution on. Um, so that's, that's quite key. Um, and methane emissions in the, in the atmosphere um, and the concentrations from that um, have been uh, increasing faster than that from CO2 um, since the industrial revolution. So most people are not aware of that as well. Um, it does have uh, human health um, impacts. Um, we've heard already from, from Helena about tropospheric ozone, um, how methane is a, is a precursor from that um, and that can cause respiratory illnesses. And it is, it is good on the one hand that there are not more direct health impacts uh, from methane, um, but there's also a silver lining uh, because it makes it hard to bring the climate importance of methane on people's radar, right? Yeah. Um, it is sort of, uh, quote unquote, only the climate impacts and, and that's something that people can really, uh, you know, get a, get a, get a feel or, or a touch or so. Okay. All right. But uh, there is, of course, as you mentioned, right? So yeah, okay. Very, very important though. And uh, Helena, maybe you can take this, you know, what's Malaysia's uh, methane emissions like? Yeah, so um, according to the Malaysia's uh, biennial update report, uh, we reported that methane is contributing about 17% of our greenhouse gas emissions in 2016. Um, and this is quite a big number. It's a bit lower than the global average, which is about 25%, but it's still a significant amount of our contributions. And I think uh, Stefan may be able to go into this. Um, there's also an issue about whether we are measuring accurately. So it may actually be an issue that we're not actually measuring all the methane sources that we know of or that we may not know of in Malaysia, which may explain the slightly lower number. But um, that aside, 17% um, is still a big number. And um, the highest, um, the major source is actually from the oil and gas industry, fugitive emissions from the oil and gas industry. So it contributes about 44% of Malaysia's uh, methane emissions. And this is, you know, almost half. Uh, it goes, it uh, comes through leaking, venting, and flaring all of these procedures in the oil and gas industry. The second largest is oil palm uh, at about one quarter, 25%. And this actually is a processing byproduct. It's part of the wastewater that is produced, and it's called P-O-M-E, palm oil mill effluents. Okay. Um, the third is actually waste. Uh, but like I said, this is quite a small number, but it may be due to the fact that we're not actually calculating it, uh, considering this in the bigger picture as well. So that's the overall sort of landscape of methane emissions in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Stefan, do you want to take what uh, Helena was talking about? Maybe we're not actually uh, measuring it properly or, yeah, we don't know all the different sources. Is that right? Exactly. There's still a lot of data gaps um, around the world. Uh, Malaysia is certainly one of them. Um, so the, the numbers, the statistics that Helena just mentioned, um, those are desktop numbers um, based on calculations. Um, but it also means that nobody really knows um, how accurate these numbers are. Mm. Are there any biases in, involved in these? And so unless we measure them, uh, we won't really know. Okay, all right. So there is a gap that exists there. Okay, all right. And uh, Dr. Shreen, if I can ask you, so I was reading the press release uh, that you guys released uh, with SETDEM, of course, um, and it said that in Malaysia, companies are already starting to set net zero targets and addressing meth uh, methane is the first, but also the cheapest step on the path to net zero. Could you elaborate on that for me? Yes, absolutely. So as, as Stefan was saying, methane emissions account for roughly 25% of current global warming. 
and contribute to climate-related threats such as more intense and frequent heat waves and flooding that you're already seeing in Malaysia, food insecurity and poor air quality. Methane determines how fast our world is warming. And because methane is the main component of natural gas, it has a pivotal role in getting to net zero because tackling methane emissions is the first step towards a low carbon economy. Methane is short-lived in the atmosphere, roughly about nine to 10 years. So if we tackle methane emissions quickly, the impact can be felt within our lifetimes. Okay. And when you look at all of the climate solutions that are available to us, even from you know, the perspective of different methane sources, tackling methane from oil and gas is the cheapest because the technology is readily available and a lot of the uh, activities related to finding leaks is maintenance. So it is low-hanging fruit. Mm. You compare it to methane emissions from livestock, for example, and at the top of the tree, that would be adaptation and resilience, which is extremely expensive and also emotionally very distressing for communities. Okay. All right. And um, for for us in Malaysia, Helena, you know, where does Malaysia's biggest opportunities for tackling methane emissions lie? Yeah. So I've mentioned that the two uh, biggest emitting sectors are oil and gas and oil palm. Mm -hmm. So that's where we can actually start. So both of these sectors are, as you know, Malaysia's national key economic areas. They are already part of our national economic transformation program. So they are clearly priority sectors. They are important to our government in more, more ways than one. And we see who are the major players in these sectors. They are Petronas, they are Sandarbi. So they are key Malaysian GLCs. So these are prominent um, uh, companies uh, with you know, public-facing interests, and they also want to be seen to be doing something positive uh, for the climate action. Uh, and these companies, they have announced their commitments to low energy transition. So, for example, uh, Petronas has committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Saim Dhabi has uh, aims to reduce 50% of its carbon, carbon emissions intensities by 2030. So this is where the, I think, a really good opportunity lies. The goals and priorities are already there. Mm -hmm. uh, the, now it's about making sure that reducing methane is a big part of that uh, project. Uh, not just looking at carbon, you know, so and making these companies understand and prioritize that methane is a good way uh, to achieve these targets. And of course, the, the supporting economic ecosystem around these sectors is also going to be able to contribute. So I think that would be um, the biggest opportunities, opportunities for Malaysia moving forward on this uh, goal. Mm -hmm. and, and, and like uh, Dr. Shirin said, kind of low-hanging fruit as well, right? Things can be done. It's quite easily done. Yeah. And Dr. Shireen, you know, why does cutting methane emissions from the oil and gas sector also make economic sense? Yes. So substantial gas resources that are currently being produced do not even make it to the market because they are lost to the atmosphere through flaring and through leaks across the oil and gas supply chain, value chain. So reducing flaring, reducing venting and methane leaks would offer immediate relief to the current energy crises that the world is, is facing. And um, in this region, methane emissions from the oil and gas supply chain um, from producer countries such as Malaysia, for example, 
would be enough to cover 35% of the gas demand of Japan, which is a leading buyer of LNG. Yes, that is a significant. So in other words, wasted methane is a lost commercial opportunity because it is product that could otherwise be captured and sold. So relieving current gas market pressures, adding revenue, and progressing decarbonization efforts. Rarely are there issues like methane that present a winning proposition to all sides. And with regards to Malaysia in particular, you know, specific business opportunities like technology development for measurements and mitigation, software solutions for data management, or these measurements that um, these various sensors would, would acquire, they need to be to be stored, they need to be analyzed, um, monitoring inspection services for leaks and repairs. So these are all good paying jobs. And um, gas infrastructure development for captured methane gas, the list goes on. And when you compare Malaysia's business environment, it's actually relatively stable to other parts of the world, other producer countries, because um, the government is open to private sector involvement and the private sector in Malaysia is also open to partnerships with with other companies from places like the US, Canada, Norway. So yes, I I firmly believe that this is a new industry in the making and Malaysia can lead in this region. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we do sometimes talk about the agriculture part of it, right? Uh, Helena, you know, can fa- Dr. Helena, can farmers, you know, the agricultural sector as well, can they help in this campaign to cut methane emissions? Uh, so, well, we talked about palm oil a bit before, and it's one of the biggest contributors to methane emissions in Malaysia. Uh, so, just looking at from the palm oil angle, uh, a lot of the bigger mills, uh, they have uh, methane capture facilities already. Uh, and this methane actually converts into biogas, and this is used to run the mills. Mm. Um, so the opportunity now is for the smaller mills, uh, which may be um, you know, owned by smaller companies or maybe by a collective. Uh, they also, it would be good for them to also be able to install uh, these facilities on their mills. Uh, but of course, this can be costly, so it needs you know, knowledge exchange from the bigger players and government support and all of this. So this is some of the things that we'll be looking into. Um, there might also be opportunities in the animal husbandry, the livestock sector. It's not a huge uh, area in Malaysia, uh, but we also do have to first understand if emissions from these sectors are being calculated accurately lah, so we can actually know the extent of the problem there. Um, so our project uh, is at its early stages and we're primarily focusing on oil and gas and perhaps a bit of palm oil as well. But we'll see how it progresses and we hope to bring a little bit more clarity to these kind of issues as we go along in our project. Okay, excellent. And so, yeah, still early stages, but yeah, a lot of promise. La. It sounds really, really quite a promising thing too. And, you know, it, it makes sense la, as a win-win situation. Maybe, yeah. Dr. Stefan, if I can just ask you very quickly, you know, some uh, slightly bigger picture questions, right? Will reducing methane really help counter uh, climate change and that cl- this climate crisis that we're in? Yeah, absolutely. And I can add a little bit of colour to what uh, Shireen mentioned already. So reducing methane emissions is the easiest way to slow the rate of warming. Um, what, what, what does that really mean? It means that we're hoping with all the mitigation, climate mitigation efforts that happen already around the world, that temperatures will stabilize uh, at one point. Um, and reducing methane uh, will make sure that we get there the soon, as soon as possible, okay. right? 
So this is where, where methane um, really comes in. And this is because uh, methane is such a short-lived uh, climate pollutant, as Shireen already mentioned. Um, so we still need the CO2 mitigation, that's clear. But in parallel to that, uh, we, need, we need methane to get to that stabilizing. Um, and we know how to do it. Uh, we've mentioned already the, the low-hanging fruit. Um, and reducing methane, especially from the oil and gas industry, um, is the easiest because there are concrete mitigation actions already there. Mm. So that includes things like fixing leaks, which is basically plumbing. It's not um, it's not a big a big science really. Yeah. Um, capturing and using uh, other otherwise uh, vented gas. Um, that's also a really key one. And then things like installing better valves um, that are you know used across the across the industry. And Current analysis suggests that about half of the mitigation um, would come at no or negative cost. So that means that the recovered gas sales will pay for the mitigation cost. So that's really key. Win-win. I just keep hearing win-win everywhere. Um, yeah, okay, really no-brainer. And in terms of, so you, you mentioned, okay, we, we keep speaking about the low-hanging fruit, but technology, of course, that must play a role as well in uh, methane reduction, right? You know, uh, what would you say that is? Uh, Dr. Stefan. Yeah, exactly. Um, so technology has uh, at least two roles to play. So one is in the mitigation directly. So what we just discussed, uh, the different mitigation options, the very concrete ones that already exist. Um, and this is important because it doesn't require the more complicated behavioral changes. Mm. Uh, we'll need this, but unfortunately, these take time. Um, and here we're talking about a tech issue that we can implement today. That's really key. So the second role of tech is in monitoring. And so measuring methane is really the first step. Um, you know, everybody has heard this before. You can't manage what you can't measure. Um, yeah. And that's really true for methane emissions. Um, because what we've seen in the past, or so in our experience going out in the field, uh, when you... Uh, when you measure methane emissions from, from different sources, um, it will tell um, even, even operators who are pretty well aware of their operations, um, which operations may not function as they think they do. And, um, and so that's, that's really key. And there, there's different measurement tech available um, on the ground, in the air, uh, even from space. There are quite a few satellites now in space who can measure methane emissions around the world. Um, there are handheld devices. Um, there are um, stationary continuous monitors. And they're also super precise. So to give you a sense of that, um, if, you, if you have an air volume with a billion molecules, um, a measurement device can tell us if there's 2,000 methane molecules or 2,001. Wow. It's extremely precise. Um, it's actually more precise than what we really need um, to solve the issue, um, but it is available. So you mentioned that, you know, low-hanging fruit, and, we, and I keep mentioning that it's a win-win situation. Why do you think it hasn't already happened? You know, why, yeah, what's, what, what are the gaps, you know? Why, why isn't it happening? Uh, it's not happening for a, a really a very basic reason, and that's because... Uh, methane reduction is viewed as a project and therefore it needs to compete with other business projects within an oil company. Uh -huh. And um, therefore, you know, the perception is 
it, 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 it requires expenses, it requires money, funding, and it doesn't generate any revenue. So especially from an asset perspective, this is OPEX and it's not generating revenue. But the reality is that, especially under today's market prices, you can generate a tidy profit from finding your leaks and, and plugging them and capturing and selling. So my entire career has been in the oil and gas industry. So, you know, when I when I hear this sort of pushback, I know that um, that's really not the true picture. Um, and in addition, I should also mention that um, we've partnered obviously with, with NGOs, but we're also looking to partner with local universities such as UKM and UTP, particularly with regards to measurements and monitoring, because at the end of the day, we want this work to be self-sustaining and therefore, you know, expanding the ecosystem of expertise within this region. I mean, that goes hand in hand with the business opportunities as well. Okay. All right. You guys are obviously going to keep up in promoting this, but, you know, for anyone who's listening and who might want to, you know, learn more about this, you know, find out more about it. I mean, what are some of your recommendations about how they can educate themselves on the topic? Yes. So, um, as I mentioned at the start of the conversation that we've partnered with Mabek and with Science Media Centre. So through them, we've been offering methane training. Um, it's detailed technical training, but it's also an overview of all things methane. Um, in addition, EDF is sponsoring Malaysia's first science newspaper, which is Petri Dish. And it carries a lot of climate-related articles and a, a section on methane matters. So these are some of the ways in which, um, you know, we, we can raise awareness of um, the issues around methane, not just in terms of why it's problematic, but also the climate solution that it offers. Because what I find is um, there's a lot out there in terms of, you know, why we can't do this, why it's too expensive, why we're beholden to, to oil and gas. So the public tends to hear that narrative and they accept it. But the truth is that um, methane reduction elimination is so affordable. Mm. And you and I and Helena and Stefan can feel the impact of it within our lifetimes. And that is very compelling, uh, you know, for me. And uh, that's what I want people to take away from, from this conversation. It can be done. This is not technology that's 50 years away. It's available. It's cheap. It generates good paying jobs. It's good for business. It's good for the environment. And it's good for the population of Malaysia. All right, excellent. Thank you so much. Uh, any any concluding messages that Helena or Stefan would like to to add? Uh, well, Sharin mentioned uh, the petri dish, and uh, one of the first outputs of our little project uh, at UM and Chera is we do have a sort of a methane uh, and policy explainer uh, in the latest issue of the petri dish. So that would be a great place to start for people to hopefully who are interested in this. So please do check it out. Okay. Now, Stefan, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, so um, just also a positive, uh, positive note, 
um, really raising awareness of methane and uh, doing studies on methane, really understanding it better, um, has done a lot of good already um, in, in other parts of the world, uh, especially in North America and in Europe. Um, and we're hoping it's going to do the same here. I think we're bringing all the tools. Um, and, and actually, we've, we've, I've noticed already in my, during my stay here in, in Kuala Lumpur that there's quite a lot of expertise already in the region. So, so we're hoping to, to catalyze um, a lot of that. And um, I'm pretty hopeful that this bring about positive change. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, all of you, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Dr. Shireen Yawanaraja. She's the Director for Global Energy Transition at the Environmental Defence Fund. Dr. Stefan Schweitzker, International Senior Scientist, also from the Environmental Defence Fund. And Dr. Helena Vaki, Associate Professor at University of Malaya. She's the Vice President of CHURA, the Clean Air Society of Malaysia, and the Project Lead for the COP26 Global Climate Pledges, Promoting Transparency, Public Engagement and Progress on Methane Emissions in Malaysia. If you'd like to find Find out more about the Environmental Defence Fund and all the things that we've been talking about, just head to edf.org. All the information is there. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.